You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm your host, Hayden Grove. And as always, we are joined by our Cavaliers beat reporter at Cleveland.com, Mr. Chris Fedor, who is on the road today on his way to Detroit, where the Cavaliers will play on Sunday. Cleveland coming off a big win over the Milwaukee Bucks, um, the win that put them at 30 and, 30 and 19 on the season. And at the time, third place in the Eastern Conference, um, Chris and I were both there. And Chris, it, it felt a little bit like the old days before, you know, before LeBron left. And it felt a little bit kind of like a not maybe not a playoff atmosphere, but it felt, you know, relatively very like fans were invested. People were into it. It was a, it was a really, yep. really good, good sight to see. Yeah, so I think the way that I phrased it to somebody was um, the Cavs clearly cared more about that game than Milwaukee, and it clearly meant more to the Cavs fans than it meant to Milwaukee fans. So, like, it shows that the Cavs are coming, right? And Kevin Love said it after the game. There are more and more um, people filling the seats, and we're getting more of a home court advantage as we continue to play well. And... um, it was a great environment in there. And, and the thing that stood out to me is that, you know, you've got Milwaukee coming to town and Milwaukee's a great team and they've got Giannis, but there was a belief, not just with the Cavs, right? The Cavs believe that they can compete with Milwaukee. They believe they can compete with these upper echelon teams around the NBA, but it felt like the fans believed it. And even when the Cavs got off to the slow start and they were down 12 early against Milwaukee, the arena was still juiced. It wasn't like, oh, here we go again. There wasn't a sense of panic that was, okay, we have a belief that these guys can figure it out and they can turn it around, and it was a great environment. It certainly was. It was it was a, it was a great environment as you said and i think the, i think the telling the telling thing was not during the game not after the game because in all fairness yes cleveland want, might have wanted more than milwaukee and yes it is an nba yeah. regular season game um yeah. i think the telling quote was from giannis uh, after the game saying this isn't the same old cavaliers you know they're competing for the playoffs they're competing for a championship just like we are i think giannis's yeah. quote kind of said hey you know these guys are legit they're here to they're here to stay and uh you know, I think it was a huge hat tip from uh, from one of the league's best players, you know, the NBA champion to the Cavaliers. And like, all right, you know, it was it's been a good run for them. But now I think they're legitimately, you know, here and, and you know, we got to pay attention. Yeah, I mean, I think so many people have spent the majority of this season, Hayden, wondering if the Cavs are for real, um, wondering if they can sustain this level of play that they've showed at the beginning of the season. And I think the people that, that are asking those questions are late, right? Like, yes, they're for real. Like, this isn't a fluke. Nothing about what they've done has been a fluke. The question that these people should be asking is honestly what I asked JB after the game, what I asked Kevin Love after the game. It's like, how good are they? Because that's the thing that I'm still wondering. Right? That's the thing that I think other people around the NBA are still wondering. Like, are they Atlanta Hawks good from last year when they were able to make um, a trip to the Eastern Conference Finals that nobody expected? 
or are they like New York Knicks good from last year where the Knicks hosted a home playoff series? They were the four seed. They were a big surprise team, but they just like couldn't get it done to the same level. You know what I mean? Like that's the question to me. This whole thing about are they for re- Like there is nothing in their resume, nothing that would make you think anything other than yes, they are for real. Right. I mean, like think about this. Think about this, right? They have maybe, and this is all maybe stuff, because I don't know how this voting is going to go and whatnot, but they have maybe the executive of the year in Kobe Altman, the coach of the year in J.B. Bickerstaff, two all-stars in Darius Garland and Jared Allen, although I think most likely it's only going to be one, um, six-man-of-the-year contender, Kevin Love, front-runner for rookie of the year, Evan Mobley, and I would think Jarrett and Evan, and maybe even Isaac, are going to uh, get a lot of consideration when it comes to the NBA's all-defensive team at the end of the year. Like, if I just told you that, not thinking about the previous three years, not thinking about 22 and 50, not thinking about the name on the jersey, like, if I just told you that, would you have any questions about whether this team was legit? No, absolutely not. No, so why are people still asking it? <laughs> right, exactly. No, I, I agree with you completely that the question for me is not, is definitely not, are they good? Yeah, they're 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 good, they're here. It's how good are they? It's not that they're, yeah. if they're legit, it's how good are they? And right now, because right. Uh, it's a legitimate question, because right now you look at the Eastern Conference, the Miami Heat are 32 and 17, the Chicago Bulls are 30 yeah. and 18, the Cleveland Cavaliers are 30 and 19, two games back of the number one seed. I mean, yes, the Eastern Conference is pretty wide open because you have, um, you know, six teams within, you know, two, two and a half games of each other. I mean, it's it's a very close conference. But um, are the Cavaliers three seed good? Are they six seed good? Are they one seed good? I mean, how good can they be? So that is the question. And I, I think as the season goes along, you know, the, the Cavaliers have already played the hardest part of their schedule. They've, you know, gone yep. on the, the daunting road trips. I don't think that Cleveland yep. is going to end up below the, you know, below the fifth, sixth seed. I think that they are probably more likely to be, you know, where they are at the three seed or maybe even go up to the second or first seed. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Just looking at the strength of schedule for the second half of the season and understanding, too, some of the stuff that they've already had to overcome in the first half of the season. This isn't 30 and 19 as a picture of health and stability. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you see these teams and you look at their record and you say, okay, but regression is coming because of this, 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 and this. Okay. But they haven't dealt with any injuries whatsoever. Like the Cavs are 30, a 30 win team right now despite the fact that they lost leading scorer Colin Sexton, despite the fact that they lost Ricky Rubio, who was in their closing lineup, who formed a dangerous one-two combination with Darius Garland, and despite the fact that they were wrecked, well, I mean, every team in the NBA at this point has been wrecked by COVID, but they were wrecked by COVID already, too. Um, In the meat of their schedule, they were wrecked by that. And in the meat of their schedule, they were dealing with those particular injuries. So... You know, to me, the beauty of this team is that they've been able to overcome all these different things. And and it's not just keep your head above water, overcome it. It's overcome and thrive. That's the thing that stands out to me. Like, if they've already won 30 games to this point, dealing with everything that they had to deal with in the first half of the season, to me, there is an obvious and clear path for them to be the one or two seed in the Eastern Conference. Now, in saying that, like that doesn't mean that I would pick them to win a seven-game series over Milwaukee or Miami or even the Brooklyn Nets. So those are two separate conversations to me, but given the way everything lines up for them in the second half of the season, yes, the most likely outcome is that they are hosting a playoff series. So, I, I mean, I love playing the schedule game, so I apologize for to those who don't. But um, I'm just looking at the schedule, and okay, okay, like, the Cavs are what? Win, 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 win. 
dude, the Cavaliers are 30, 30 and 19. Tomorrow they play yeah. Detroit. That should be 31 and 19. Yeah. Then they play New Orleans. That should be 32 and 19. Then they play Houston. That should be maybe 33 and 19. Then they play Charlotte. Could be 34 and 19. Indiana, 35. I mean, San Antonio, Indiana. Like, they have a very, you know, a very favorable schedule for a a lot of the next two months. And it's everything points. Like we said, everything points to them closer to the second or third seed than the the first seed. I mean, the amount of, the amount of, um, the amount of stuff that they've overcome, as you've mentioned, like this team could have easily gone down the tubes when Colin got hurt. This team could have easily gone down the tubes and they had a bunch of, uh, you know, COVID situation. They could, they, this team could have gone down the tubes with Ricky Rubio's absence. I mean, they've sustained it all. And I think we're even forgetting the fact that I would, we both believe that they're going to make a move at the deadline. So that's going to add another piece to, to the puzzle. I mean, it's just, it really is remarkable what this team has done this season. And it speaks to continuity. It speaks to ha- having faith. It speaks to, you know, J.B. Bickerstaff, what he's been able to do, Kobe Allman. I mean, it just, when, when they played the Bucks, it just looked, and I know that, you know, like we said, maybe Cleveland had a little bit of an advantage. They're on kind of a run here. But it just looked like the way that the style that Cleveland plays, it just makes it so hard for it makes a matchup yeah. problem for just about any team, given what you can have with Jared Allen, Evan Mobley. And then when Larry Markkinen comes back, that'll even further that. So it, it looks like just a matchup nightmare for every team that they play. In the regular season, I would agree. I think the playoffs is going to be a different kind of situation. And, and yeah. their ceiling in the playoffs, I really think, is tied to what they accomplish at the trade deadline and how much they beef up this roster because there are some weaknesses. There's no doubt about that. And when you get into a seven game series and the team is scouting you and the team is um, game planning for you in a way that they don't in the regular season, uh, then it's all about, you know, exploiting those weaknesses. Uh, And the more weaknesses you have, the more exploitable you are, obviously. Duh. Um, But in the regular season, They play harder than most teams most nights. That was a given. They were always going to play hard. That's the kind of team that they are. But on top of that, they have enough talent where it's going to matter, especially against the upper echelon teams. So on a night that Milwaukee doesn't have its A game, right, the Cavs can take advantage of that. They can play the way that they did the other night, as hard as they did the other night, with the force that they did defensively the other night and have the kind of talent to hang enough with Milwaukee in that kind of situation. And the same thing goes for Brooklyn and the same thing goes for the upcoming game against Philadelphia. And because of the way that the Cavs play so hard, especially defensively, that lends itself to more regular season wins because there aren't a lot of teams in the regular season, Hayden, that are going to play with the kind of force that the Cavs play with on a nightly basis. But they have to play with that kind of force. They know that. That's their identity. That's who they are. Right. I mean, they, they're they young. They're they're spry. They should have the ability to do that night in and night out. I mean, that's, that's kind of the and whole... And they have good defenders. Like, that's the other thing. They have good individual defenders. Right. Right. At, at the beginning of the season, when we were talking about you just how good of a defense can this Cavs team be? We were looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, like, what are the five-man lineups? And I remember having a conversation with a Cavs player over the previous three years. And I, and I always asked him, I said, look, you have some quality individual defenders. Like, why aren't you better on defense? And the way that it was phrased to me was that, we have too many holes to cover up for no matter which lineup we go with. So if you think about it at the beginning of the season, we were looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, their most used lineup is probably going to be something like Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Lowry Markinen, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, right? And you could probably mix and match all you want to there. So if you look at that, Hayden, There are like three guys that you could say, and I give Darius a lot of credit because he tries hard on defense and he does get steals and deflections and he hustles his butt off. And and Colin tries really hard too. And and Markkinen brings size and athleticism. Um, 
and he can contest shots at the rim and on the perimeter because of that size. But if we're being honest, the only plus defenders in that particular lineup are Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. So you have to cover up for Lowry. You have to cover up for Colin. And you have to cover up for Darius. Right. Now, Isaac Okoro has replaced Colin Sexton. So, yes, you lose a lot offensively, but you gain one of the best on-the-ball defenders in the entire NBA. And now you only have to cover up for two guys, and that's a lot more doable than three, four, whatever the case may be. It's Yeah, it makes a lot of sense on a lot of levels. And speaking of speaking with former Cavaliers players, um, or not, sorry, not former at all, um, speaking of current Cavaliers players. Uh, later technically, the, he's current. Yes, technically he's current, um, but not currently playing. Uh, Chris is able to sit down on the telephone with uh, none other than Colin Sexton, and that interview is going to be posted in this in this uh, podcast later in the show. So um, we will get that to you after the break. But in the meantime, um, I, I just I, when I looked at the bench and I look at Colin Sexton, he seems engaged. He seems part of the team. I mean, now that the Cavaliers are kind of in a situation where, you know, the, the playoffs are looking very likely, Colin looks engaged. Colin is, is very much a part of it. I mean, is there a situation where they can add him in the postseason? I mean, do you think that's a realistic possibility? No, I don't. And you'll hear from Colin himself. I asked him that very question, and you'll understand why I asked him that question coming up. Um, during this podcast, but, but yeah. no, I don't. Because, look, this from the very beginning, Hayden, this is a very tricky injury, okay? And part of what makes it tricky is the um, recovery that you choose as a player or as an organization. Um, where the meniscus tear, that, that plays into it, too. So here's the thing. Colin just barely started walking again on his own without crutches. Okay. Right. It's, it's January. Now he had, he had the surgery um, in November and he just barely started walking on his own. Um, the only thing that he can do with a basketball in his hands is while he's sitting on a chair dribbling or sitting on a chair and shooting. So, we're talking about somebody who is, I, I don't know exactly because there are some factors attached to this, but we're talking months away from full basketball related activities. Okay. Um, and there is nobody in the organization, everybody that I've talked to in the organization, there is nobody that even in their mind once considered the possibility of Colin Sexton returning for the postseason. They are not putting that pressure on him, and they are not expecting that at all. In fact, I talked to a coach um, before the game the other night against Milwaukee, and I was like, hey, what do you think the chances are of this, of this happening are? And he turned to me and he's like, Chris, like, that never even crossed my mind. I know what that injury is. I know how significant it is. I know how difficult it is to come back from that. When, when Colin went down and we knew that he was getting the surgery, he never even thought of that possibility. And I brought up to him, I said, hey, look, you know, people said the same thing about Derrick Henry of the Tennessee Titans, and they said the same thing about Cam Akers of the Los Angeles Rams. And both those guys played this, this past weekend in, in the NFL playoffs for their respective teams, and they were like, it's not happening. So, no, I don't think it is a legitimate possibility. The only reason that I leave some wiggle room is because Colin's ridiculous. Right. And Colin is somebody who is going to outwork everybody and you put a hurdle in front of him and he's going to find a way to either go through it or go over it. So if is a gigantic, if, because again, I don't think it's possible, but if somebody is going to make it back, my money would be on that dude shocking the hell out of everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's, he, <laughs> That's true. I mean, you know, it seems these days that 
for for maybe it's medical technology or whatever. I mean, it seems like guys are coming back a little little quicker than you know the normal in in certain situations. So I think it's very fair to not put any pressure on Colin to to come back. I think it's very fair the way they're handling it. I guess we'll have to wait and see if Colin you know is actually as ridiculous as he seems. And I'm even if he's even if he doesn't come back, I think he's still going to be you know ahead of schedule because that's just the guy he is. He works his butt off and um, will do everything in his power to be back and to be ready. But we're going to take a quick break here on the Mining Gold Talk podcast. And when we come back, we will have Chris Fudor's interview with Colin Sexton. And then after that, we'll discuss it a little bit. So stay tuned. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Hayden Grove, joined by Chris Fedor. And as I mentioned before the break, Chris Fedor sat or didn't. Were you sitting when you interviewed him? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was. I was sitting in my dining room. And, okay. and I made sure that Elliot was upstairs and the door was closed. So in case he started crying because he was hungry or because he was tired, that, that wouldn't come across in the interview. Okay. So you sat down. It's unknown if Colin Sexton sat down because you were on the phone. He was sitting. He was sitting. It was a Zoom call. I saw him. I saw him oh, setup. Zoom call. Oh, even better. Okay. Okay. So it was not the yeah. phone. It was the computer. Yeah. It was the computer. I love it. That's okay. Right. Yeah. So it was a Zoom call between Chris and uh, Colin Sexton. We're going to play that for you now. Uh, we hope you enjoy. Colin, what's going on, man? How are you? Good. How you doing? I'm good, man. Good to see you. It was good to see you last night, too. Oh, yeah. It was good. Being on the bench, um, <laughs> just being with the guys again. I was I was on the bench last time I was here, but I couldn't stand up and cheer like I wanted to. <laughs> All right, so before we get into the season and, and your recovery and stuff like that, talk to me about what you're doing with Mountain Dew and Rep the Land for All Star. Um, Rep the Land is Mountain Dew. Uh, we're bringing uh, bringing the All Star game here to Cleveland, so. We're doing these special pins at each convenience store. If you go and buy two Mountain Dews, um, then you can get one of these pins. Uh, I don't know if you can see it, but yep. it's a lot of different pins. And um, you can also have a chance to um, win tickets to the All-Star game. And you just pretty much scan the QR code, the code on the back. and um, It's pretty cool. Um, just pretty much just giving Cleveland the recognition that we deserve as being a, a basketball um city as well as giving back to the fans and they're able to wear these unique pins wherever they go whether it's hospitals or um to their jobs and uh, just around so they just show some type of attention and um it's a conversation starter as well and, and why not rep the land <laughs> what does it mean to you colin as a member of the cleveland cavaliers to have the 2022 all-star game in cleveland where you know you play your home games it's cool. It's definitely, it's definitely cool. After 25 years, I'm afraid to come back. When, uh, when I'm here, that, that's pretty cool. This will be the first time, like, um, me being a part of something, like, as uh, far as, like, um, in the same city that I'm in. So I'm, I'm excited to see and excited just to be a part of it, uh, whether it's one of the events and um, hopefully being able to see my teammates in the All-Star game. So uh, we'll see uh, when those folks come out. I'm excited. What do you hope that outsiders of Cleveland get to understand about the city itself or about the basketball culture here when they do come to Cleveland for All-Star Weekend? Well, when they do come, um, the city of Cleveland, they love our sports, uh, whether it's, it's football, baseball, basketball, we're going to support regardless. And as you see it every night, um, Rock and Mortgage is always uh, packed out. Fans are always there screaming and showing their support. Regardless, up or down, um, they're going to come come out and support. So when people come for the All-Star game, they're going to see, oh, man, these Cleveland fans, they, they get a little rowdy. <laughs> All right, so for you, you're obviously recovering from the knee injury. Like, what's been the most difficult part um, of this particular injury, Colin? I would say just not being able to play the game that I love to play and just pretty much not being able to do certain things that I'm used to doing, like, going certain nights, going out there and just shooting 500 shots, 1,000 shots every night, just different things like that. And you don't realize it until uh, it is taken away. And uh, that just makes you want it that much more. And also just being out there with my teammates, like I, I definitely miss it when I'm sitting at home watching the games. It's, it's the toughest thing just, just seeing certain plays and um, how excited they are. I just want to run out on the court and just <laughs> get excited as well. So it's different things like that that you don't really um, realize until you're 
um, watching it on TV or just um, away from the team. Where are you in your recovery, Colin? Like, what kinds of things can you do at this point? I'm doing a lot of things right now. I'm I'm, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm on schedule. Um, so it, I'm doing good, and I'm feeling good mentally and physically. I felt like the mental part was something that was going to be be huge for me. Just um, just the simple fact that uh, you got to make sure your mental is strong because uh, physical. At the end of the day, you continue to work. You continue to put in the grind and the time. Then everything else is going to work out. So the mental part is what I've been focusing a lot on. Yeah, you mentioned being on schedule, Colin. Like in your own mind. What does that mean? Like, when do you want to be back? When, when I'm feeling 100%, as well as, like, when I'm, when I'm feeling ready. When my body tells me, like, all right, you're ready and you're at a good place and a good time, and um, that's when I'm going to give it a go. I, uh, I thought about you over the weekend when I was watching some of the NFL playoff games and, and seeing some of these players, Derrick Henry, Cam Akers, make these miraculous yeah. recoveries from injuries and, and make it back to play in the postseason with their teams. Is there any chance if the Cavs make the postseason that you can come back and play? Well, when we make the postseason, we're going to start there when we make the postseason. And also just, uh, we'll see. Well, definitely we'll see and. uh when I'm feeling good, feeling ready, then um, we'll see see whatever time the table it is. You're somebody who has talked about the desire to make the playoffs with the Cavs. That's been a goal of yours. And for you, you were a part of it early, but now you can't physically be out there with your teammates. How hard has that been for somebody like you to not be a part of what's going on here in Cleveland in the same capacity that you're used to? It's, it's definitely difficult. It's definitely tough, um, especially at times. Even just last night, um, just sitting there on the bench and just wanting to go out there, wanting to, like, set up a teammate or just get a steal, just different things, just wanting to go out there and doing something for my team. And um, I feel like that's the toughest part. Um, but but I'm able to just pretty much support them. Um, mm-hmm. If I see certain things when I'm on the bench or even um, during the games, I'll I always shoot, shoot somebody a text, whether – uh, Kevin Darius, like shoot somebody a text and have time or something, or even after <laughs> the game, just so that they can, you know, I mean, notice it. Or even like um, if it's a big win, we always, uh, me and Ricky, been definitely shooting texts after games, that just to show that we're trying to be connected from far away. I was going to say, with with your recovery taking place mostly in Atlanta, like are there little things that you have done beyond just the text message to stay connected with the guys? Oh, yeah, absolutely. As well as the coaches as well. We've been mm-hmm. able to watch film um, some days and just pretty much just um, go over the scouting report, go over different things so that I'm, uh, when I do watch the game at the, when at nighttime, I'm able to lock in on certain things and, okay, oh, yeah, they, they're making that as, uh, emphasis night to blitz every pick and roll that he comes off or just to drop whenever, like different things like that. So. Yeah. What's your view, Colin, of, of how the squad has been playing? What stands out to you about the way that they've played this year? Uh, I feel like they've been playing really hard, unselfish, and uh, just pretty much just playing together. And everyone at any given night is able to to step up, and just the energy from the fans, from from the bench, everyone you can just tell how how excited everyone is, and uh, I love that. Colin, you mentioned that you're hoping that your teammates are there in Cleveland representing the squad for the All Star game. You know, make the pitch, make the pitch for Darius and, and Jarrett to to be All Stars this year. Um, I feel like they deserve to be all-stars just by their play as well as how they're leading the team. Um, they're doing it each and every night and coming out here and getting victories against um, top players, top teams. Um, so I feel like and it's in Cleveland. If it's in Cleveland, we should have at least both players or at least one player in the all-star game because um, it is our city, mm-hmm. and why not rep the land? Man, you mentioned that the, the mental part of an injury is, is always the toughest um, what has been the key for you to dealing with the mental grind that comes with rehabbing a significant injury like this? Pretty much been finding ways to keep my mind busy, mm. finding ways to stay connected to the game, watching a whole lot of film, reading and a lot of writing, um, a lot of letting my emotions um, just jot down on different things. And I feel like that's helped me a whole lot because right now I'm in a great place and I feel good physically as well as mentally, so I'm excited to, to see for the next couple of months and see where they go. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Appreciate it. Yep. All right, so that is it with Chris and Colin. 
Chris, what were your biggest takeaways from your, you know, this interview with Colin Sexton? I mean, obviously he didn't have forever with him, but you had enough time to kind of, you know, pick his brain a little bit. What were your takeaways? Yeah, I mean, I wish I would have had more time, but I was given a specific window and I was told my line was going to be cut off at a specific time. Oh, yeah, you know, that's just the way it goes with some of these things. Right. Um, you know, here's the thing. People close to Colin, Colin himself, and the organization are very, very guarded, and they aren't revealing a lot in terms of where Colin is with his recovery, what the actual timeline is, those kinds of things haven't really been revealed. Um, so that was something that stood out to me. You know, I asked him what kinds of things he's able to do right now from a basketball standpoint, and he didn't get into it. Um, I asked him when he thinks, like in his own mind, when he thinks he'll be back, like what, what time he has set for himself, and he didn't answer it. Um, he said he is on schedule in terms of his recovery. But that's very, very vague, and anybody could say that. So I just think it's fascinating, and I think part of the reason is the type of surgery that he had, the type of injury that he had, it, it is tricky, and it's a little bit more complicated. So um, I think that's why you hear a lot of people around Colin or with the organization say, like, we don't exactly know. Interesting. I mean, how how does so as he's guarded? I mean, what do you think his mental? Where do you think his mental state is at right now? I mean, because obviously, when you go through an injury, I think the biggest yeah. part, the biggest part is yes, a lot of it is obviously physical, but a lot of it's mental. Like you're not out there playing, you're you're doing, you're not doing the thing you love to do. I mean, it definitely um, you know comes into your psyche. So, what did you? What do you think um, in terms of what Colin? Uh, where he is mentally with this. He said he was in a good place. I sense that he's in a good place. I think part of that is he's able to be around the guys again. I think the other part of that is J.B. Bickerstaff has brought him into the fold. He's brought him in via Zoom for some of these um, film sessions, for some of these team meetings, for some of these team huddles before and after practice. So they have found a way to keep him connected. Because the one thing that you always know about Colin and the one thing that the organization has always said about Colin is that he doesn't have a lot of hobbies, Hayden. Yeah. Basketball is his life. It's God's family basketball for Colin, really, honestly. Mm. So when you take basketball away from him, it is difficult. And I think early on it was more difficult once the reality set in that he was going to be out for the season and this road to recovery was ahead of him. Um, I think it was hard, and it's naturally going to be hard, but I think it's even harder for, for somebody like this. So, you know, he said he's been reading and writing in a journal and trying to do things to keep his mind occupied. He's been um, talking with some of the coaches, his development coaches, and they give him scouting reports for the night's game against the Cavs so that he as opposed to just a fan from afar. Um, I think all those kinds of things are, are really helping him. And I think the reality is, as you go in the recovery process and you start to make progress and you start to see some reward, even if it's as small as sitting on a chair and dribbling in between your legs or sitting on a chair and shooting or going in a pool and doing some rehab that way, when you see little gains throughout a recovery process, I think your your mindset starts to shift a bit and you feel better about that process. Obviously, the Cavs, you know, have invested a lot in Colin. I mean, he was, you know, kind of the start of this whole thing. And uh, it might, yeah. it, it, it definitely worked out. And it, it hasn't, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, it, it's been a bust by any stretch. I mean, he's been, you know, one of Cleveland's best offensive player for the last, you know, couple of years and um there's obviously a decision looming with what you know what his future is are they thinking about that right now is colin thinking about that right now uh, thinking about you know what the future may hold here with you know with them winning without him and winning a lot without him and Dar darius kind of taking over as the leader of this team i mean 
where is the thought process there between he and the Cavaliers? How could you not think about that, right? Yeah. And I think everybody is always going to say the right thing, Colin himself. But how could you not think about that? How could you not think about, okay, what does this injury mean for my restricted free agency this offseason? The right. kinds of offers that I may get from other interested teams. Um, is there a real chance that I have to play this upcoming season under the qualifying offer? I mean, there are a lot of unknowns when it comes to Colin. But the thing that I'll say is this. You know, the Cavs like Colin. They see his value. They always have. And if we're being honest about it, Hayden, and you're talking about the trade deadline around the corner, there are other routes for them to get the pieces that they would want to get without having to trade Colin or Isaac. You know what I mean? Right. The only guys that I can think of honestly that – Colin or Isaac would be brought into the discussion, just brought into the discussion. Ben Simmons and Philly's asking price is absolutely ridiculous, and I do not think the Cavs are going that way. I do not think the Cavs are going significant move at the trade deadline in terms of something that would shake up the roster, something that would bring somebody that could potentially disrupt the chemistry that they have, the way that they play. I think they feel good about what they have. And if they're going to make a move, it's going to be more on the margin. So no Ben Simmons. I can't see Jeremy Grant. I can't see Brandon Ingram because New Orleans has no interest in trading him. I can't see even CJ McCollum, if we're being honest about it. So like the main guys, that, that we have talked about in the past that would even introduce Colin into the equation, I don't see them going that way. So I think it's a moot point. I think it's unnecessary to even talk about the possibility of trading Colin or Isaac Okoro because their path to making a deal is Ricky Rubio's expiring contract and future draft picks. And right. all of those things, from what I'm told, they are willing to part with. As well, they probably should be. I mean, that's, you know, if they're, I mean, I don't think they're entirely, I mean, yes, they're in win now mode, but I don't think they're like chips all in mode. But I think when you look down, you know, when you look down the line, how many more top 10 draft picks do you need or how many more first round draft picks do you need? I mean, you know, if you're built, you've built this thing. So it makes sense that they'd be willing to get the draft picks. And then, you know, Ricky's contract is what it is. So, um, I mean, Ricky's contract, Ricky's contract matches basically everybody on the trade market that the Cavs would logically have interest in. And Ricky cannot help them this year. Ricky cannot help them on the court. So even if it may sound harsh, and even if it may be a hard truth for somebody like Ricky to accept because he was such a great fit with this organization, the Cavs have to do what's best for them, chasing what is – Something a little bit more than just a playoff spot at this point in time. It's a series win in the first round, or it's a conference semifinal series win. I, I think it's time to, to lift the expectations a little bit based on what they've accomplished at the first part of this season. And uh, they, I think so you're asking. Go ahead. So, so I mean, if, if if you're thinking, Hayden, for yourself about some of the guys that interest you on the trade market. Yeah. Come up with those names, whoever they are, and ask yourself, would the Cavs need to even entertain the possibility of including Colin Sexton or Isaac Okoro for that player? No. The only one, the only one I think that is worth debating, the only two, okay, two, the only two worth debating are Buddy Heald and Karis LeVert. But right. I think Indiana is willing to go into rebuild mode so much that multiple first-round picks plus Ricky's expiring contract could probably get them really competitive for Karis LeVert. Other than that, you don't have to give up Colin Sexton to get Eric Gordon. 
You don't have to give up Colin Sexton to get Terrence Ross. You may have to give up Colin Sexton if you want to be competitive about Derek White in San Antonio. But there are so many other guys that the Cavs could try and target where they don't have to go that direction. They can just give up Ricky and a pick or multiple picks and probably get it done. Yeah, I think Colin would be like a last resort. I really do. I think it would be a last resort. I mean, the maybe... other one is Buddy Heald. Yeah. I think Buddy Heald is interesting, and I think because of what they would want for Buddy, I, I think they would ask for somebody like Colin or Isaac. I think they would want a young player as well as a pick. That's just my oh, view of it. I think, I think teams are going to ask for Colin. I mean, yeah, I think that makes a lot of... Why wouldn't you? I mean, you know, if you feel like you have the money and you feel like you want to, you know, you can ha- have him around, I think they would ask for Colin, but um, that doesn't mean the Cavaliers have to give him up. That's the difference. That's right. That's right. Or even entertain the possibility of that. That's exactly right. All right. Well, Chris, if you have anything else, speak now or forever hold your peace. Otherwise, have a safe trip to Detroit. Um, Cavaliers in Detroit. Okay, on so the Go I ahead. Have one more thing. Yes. One more thing to get into. The Cavs recently got a dis- disabled player exception for uh, Ricky Rubio's injury. Yep. They are more than likely, in a matter of days, going to get a disabled player exception for Colin Sexton as well. Now, I think there are a couple of things here that are really important. First, okay. um, I'm trying to figure out the right phrasing for this. The Cavs do not want to go into the luxury tax. Right. I don't I don't want to say if they no go absolutely not because like maybe some player becomes available in a trade and it's just way too good for them to pass up. But they do not want to go into the luxury tax. They do not want to start that luxury tax clock because of some of the things that are coming up when it comes to the Cavs and their salary cap situation. Right. But right now they are about three million below. I think it's about three point three, to be honest with you. So even though they got this disabled player exception for Ricky Rubio and it's worth eight point nine, they can't go out and sign somebody um, that that fits that full DPE. Right. Anybody that they would anybody that they would get with that DPE whether it's a trade or just the signing, I don't think there's anybody out there worth signing or whatever. But nonetheless, they could go that direction because the DPE allows them to go that direction. Keep in mind, anybody that makes more than $3.3 million puts them in the tax. And that would necessitate them making other moves to try and get back out of the tax. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of conversation about Dennis Schroeder. And yeah, he makes sense from a playmaking standpoint. He makes sense from a scoring standpoint. And his salary obviously fits in the DPE. Uh, but that would put them in the tax. Yes. Yeah. So what so are your... I, so I think like if they use the DPE, and there's no guarantee that they do, um, either the one that they have from Rubio, the trade exception that they have from JaVale McGee, or the one that they're likely to get in a matter of days for Colin, I think it's somebody with a lower salary number. Any names in your mind? Eh, not really, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, not really. I mean... So the opportunity is there. It's just not something that they necessarily have to do. That's exactly right. And I think that's the way to look at it. It gives them optionality. It gives them a vehicle to improve a different kind of way. So let's put it this way. We were talking about their trade assets. Yes. Um, The ones that are, quote, unquote, available, like Jared Allen's not available, Darius Garland not available, Evan Mobley not available. The ones that are quote-unquote available, and I I think Colin Sexton and Isaac Okoro are fringy on this, but Ricky Rubio's expiring contract, 
Dylan Windler, all of the future first-round picks that they currently have. They have multiple second-round picks coming up as well. So if they use Rubio to get their biggest piece at the deadline, which would make a lot of sense, this at least gives them another vehicle to make a smaller-scale move. So let's say they used Ricky Rubio's contract and a first-round pick for Eric Gordon, okay, just hypothetically. Right. So now you've got somebody to fill the two-slash-three position. You get your shooter. He can playmake a little bit, but not really. So you get that kind of guy, maybe with the disabled player exception or the McGee trade exception, then you look for a wing upgrade over Jetty Osman, Isaac Okoro, or you look for like a cheap, cheap, cheap playmaker um, that you think is going to give you more than what Rondo can. Right. So this could allow them to kind of double dip. I think that, that's so, the way that I view it anyway. So for me, that would think like um, it's a. Uh, it's like I would feel that they would do it after the trade, after they make a trade, right? I, I would think that that would be the way they go about it. So they, you know, can see. Well, well that's <laughs> the other thing, okay? There's another layer to this whole DPE thing. If, <laughs> if they trade Rubio, right, they lose it. Ah. Yes. They trade Rubio, they lose it because the DPE is, they only got it because of Ricky Rubio's injury. In saying that, again, they would still have the JaVale McGee trade exception, and they're more than likely going to have a Colin Sexton DPE worth about $3.1 million, right around there. Yeah. So it wouldn't be the end of the world for the Cavs if they lost the Rubio one. But if, if they do trade him... They lose it. Interesting. Interesting. But like you said, if they have Colin, not, I don't think they're going to trade Colin. I don't. Let me put it this way: I don't think they're trading Ricky Rubio and Colin at this in this in a trade. Maybe. I mean, I don't know, but I, I would say probably not. I don't think you're going to lose both of those. Is what I'm saying. Both of what? I was talking about the disabled player exception. Why did you say Colin? Did you well, say Colin? Yeah, but because if you traded Colin, wouldn't he go away too? Well, Colin is a separate one, yes. His DPE would go away, but the Rubio one wouldn't. Well, what if you, I'm saying, what if you traded them together? <laughs> then they would both go when away? If you traded who together? If you traded the you Rubio. Traded Colin and Ricky? Yeah. Oh, you're talking about the pie in the sky type trade, like the yeah. significant blockbuster DeJounte Murray type trade or something like that. Yes, and I'm not saying it's absolutely not realistic. I'm right, but I'm just saying could it it, it's possible. Yes. All right. That was my correct. All right. So that's like but what I said is that's not gonna happen, but it's it it could be possible. Okay. All right. So I I understand that. And there's one there's one other thing too with the DPE because this is really, really tricky. And we're getting really, really nerdy on this podcast, but I think it's important to point these things out. The only guys that they can trade for using this particular exception are guys in the final year of their contract. Ah, okay. Yes. And that's the only guys that they could sign if they wanted to sign a street free agent using this thing. The only guys that they could sign would have to sign for one year. Got it. Got it. Yeah. A lot of levels. A lot of levels. I mean, obviously, it's... No kidding. Uh, say it again? No yeah, kidding. No kidding. Welcome to my world. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of levels. I mean, you know, that's the job of the GMs and the capologists out there to, to you know, to know these levels. So it's very interesting to get yeah. into. So I, I don't foresee, like I said, I mean, yeah, I could see them trading Ricky. I could tra- see them, you know, maybe adding Colin into a deal for like a, you know, for like a Karis LeVert. But... Definitely don't see both of them. So that so they'll have one either way. I, I think I would think, and that'll be interesting to see if they use it, how they use it. Um, you know, given the roster that they currently have. Um, yeah, more than likely. But he, here's the thing too. Even um, 
even if they lost for whatever reason, even if they lost the exception of Rubio, and if they lost the exception of Colin, they still have the JaVale McGee trade exception. So right. that gives them flexibility and optionality too. Right. Right. They have they got options. They got things they could do. And I again I think this roster will be not very different, but I think there definitely will be, you know, a difference come February 10th. So we're going to keep our eye out for that. We're what? We're less than two weeks away from the trade deadline. So it's about to be rumor season. You know, I think a lot of the times at the NBA trade deadline, things happen, you know, right up at the right up against it. So that'll be an exciting day for sure. Um, but in the meantime, like it's about to be rumor season. It's been rumor season. Are you kidding no, me? No, 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 no. you see the big rumor about the Cavs trading for Russell Westbrook? <laughs> Legit, it's about to be legit rumor season. How about that? Fair. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, within the next two weeks, 12 days, we're going to have plenty to be talking about. And the Cavaliers, in that time, I mean, like I said, they should, they have plenty of winnable games in the schedule. So, we'll see where they're at come February 10th. I mean, maybe, maybe on February 10th, they're at the uh, top of the Eastern Conference. I don't know. You never know. Uh, what I do know is that I appreciate you, Chris, for coming on the podcast today on your drive to Detroit. Enjoy Little Caesars. Um, definitely different than the palace for sure. But um, yeah. what what is it about Caesars? Do you like Caesars more? Um, I I like it just because of where it's located. Yes, the Palace of Auburn Hills is not by anything. Right. I think there's there was a movie theater nearby because some of us some of us reporters once went to a movie before a game. But other than that, there's very little by the palace. Hotels sparse. So I guess the proximity um, of Little Caesars to downtown and, and kind of the things that you would want to be around if you're going to Detroit, it makes more sense. But the arena itself is obviously newer and more modern. But for me, I don't really walk around the concourse. I just sit in my media seat. It's behind the basket at Little Caesars Arena. It was behind the basket at the Palace of Auburn Hills anyway. So no big deal there for me. All right. Well, either way, enjoy yourself. Have a safe trip back. And we will talk to you soon. Sounds good, brother. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of the Wanna Gold Talk podcast. Be sure to check out Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. All you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs, get the latest on the trade deadline, rumors, whatnot, insight analysis from Chris himself. He's going to send it straight to your phone. All you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs, click a blue banner at the top of the page, and you will be sent directly um, to where you need to go, put in your phone number and you will be off to off to the races, 14 day free trial, three ninety nine a month for Chris's insight analysis and all that good stuff on subtext. Uh, thank you to everyone for joining us. And thanks to Colin Sexton for making an appearance that he probably didn't know he was going to make <laughs> given that he was just talking to Chris, but we appreciate his, uh, his time and, uh, we will talk to you guys soon. Have a great weekend.